This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. My name is John Ray. I'll be your podcast caretaker prime minister for the next few weeks while Rebecca Chaplin is away. Going up against me today, we have James Baggett, car dealer's founder slash editor-in-chief. Hello, James. Hello, John. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. You've got a much deeper voice than Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Well, both she and I are thrilled to hear that. It's been a while, hasn't it, since you've been on here? How long has it has, been? Yeah, it has been. Yeah, but I, because I've been very busy writing lots of stories, doing lots of videos. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, always nice to have you on to uh, check up on us. Um, guest judge this week is Snow's Motor Group Chief Operating Officer, Neil McHugh. Hello, Neil. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, John. Nice to see you. And James? Hello, Neil. Good to see you. So I'm going to jump right in with loads of questions, as I normally do in this situation. So how, okay. how, are you fi- how are you finding things at the moment? We've got lots to talk about, which we'll, which we'll cover off in the podcast about the market, etc. But I'm interested to hear how you're finding it at the coalface. Um, well, I mean, James, the big news is supply, isn't it? I mean, it's, um, that, that's the, the, the biggest challenge we're facing right now. Um, so it, it's having to manage order books is our biggest challenge. I think the, the movement of cars in and out of a period is a challenge. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's our biggest um, challenge at the moment for the group. Uh, we've got a really healthy order book moving forwards, um, which is great, but we've got to maintain customer contact during that period so they're informed exactly what's happening. So for pe- people who don't know Snow's Motor Group, I'm sure there might be a couple that listen to the podcast, perhaps just explain how the group's made up. You represent a lot of brands now, don't you? Yeah, yes, we do. Uh, we're a, a privately owned sort of regional group. So, you know, we, we're manufacturers we work with are Toyota, Lexus, Volvo, Kia, Say and Cupra, Mercedes-Benz Commercial Vehicles, uh, BMW Mini, uh, Mazda, FCA brands. So, you know, we, we have a whole uh, spread of brands uh, across the mainly, mainly the south of England. So with that huge spread you you must be juggling supply in lots of different ways i mean w- without giving too much away i mean which if i walked into one of your dealerships which is the one that i can get a car tomorrow in none of <laughs> them struggle um, <laughs> none of them I mean, it, it, it varies so much james it's very fluid at the moment um and you know cars are coming in cars are coming out so it's it, it's it's really difficult at the moment as you can imagine um Stock inventory is very, very low, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, for, for us moving forwards and the industry, it's about taking orders and it's about managing that order book. I mean, the one benefit we're seeing, we're seeing a, uh, an increase in profitability on our new car margin, which, which is obviously good news. But, you know, clearly we, we want more cars because it's, it's, it's never good having too much of an order bank. I've heard from some dealers I've been, been chatting to that actually that 
the manufacturers are telling them towards the end of this year, supply is going to get better. I mean, one, one uh, dealer said that their manufacturer partner said you, they'll be able to have as much as they want, which is quite unusual, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, are you hearing good stuff like that to come or, or is it still going to be, when, when, how long is this restriction going to be in, in the, with the partners you're talking to? Um, we're not hearing that, James, um, right. across the brands that I look after. Um, I, I feel sorry for the OEMs because, you know, you know, they're only getting fed information from the factories and things are moving all the time. So I think all the while we've got the Ukraine war going on, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we can really say it's going to be this, it's going to be then. So we just got to watch this space really closely. Is it a year? Is it 18 months? I don't know. I really don't know. And, um, you know, we just got to watch it very closely and work closely with our partners to ensure that our customers are getting cars in, a, in an accurate time frame. So we've seen in the last year record results from from uh, from the dealers uh, from the dealer groups. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we reported on record results for for snows, didn't we? On in, in 2021, um, is the is this restricted supply such a bad thing, or or is it a shift in the in the way that the industry is operating now that actually could be a good thing? You know, we're not we're not dealing with loads of pre-reg, are we? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting debate. I think um, from, a, from a dealer's point of view, as I said earlier, we'd like a few more cars around. Um, I think by having this, um, I guess, when I first joined the industry, there was a bit of an order bank and you, and you did forward sell and it, you know, margin was a bit better. So, you know, yes, not having pre-reg around is probably a good thing and that's been damaging in the past. Mm. And lots of demonstrators and et cetera, et cetera. But... I think there's a balance, James. You know, the, the, the customer is three, four months, two, six months, too long to wait, probably. I think, you know, eight to 10 weeks is really the max that we'd like to see in terms mm. of a, a forward order bank. But it's just the world we live in at the moment. And I think, you know, we're working really hard internally um, with our sales teams to make sure that we are managing our customers' expectations in the pipeline and just giving them accurate information as much as possible. Because building building stuff to order is is a much better way of doing things, isn't it? It's, it's you 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 know what you what the order is. You know how much margin you're going to make in it, and you're not building it just to be sat in a field somewhere. But yeah. there is that kind of there's that limit, isn't there, to how long people would wait? So you so are you thinking that we will ever go back to manufacturers churning out these cars so there are fields of them and you have got access to pre-reg, or do you think we're always going to be in this? but built to built to order kind of situation we are now well my guess is that manufacturers are making more money because they're supplying less cars into uh, channels maybe they didn't want to so you know the corporate world and you know other other channels that maybe they didn't make money on and it was just a volume chase so i really hope that there is a, a balancing act so we don't go too far the other way um i'd say we're we are we're not in a good place in supply. Somewhere in the middle, James, to be about right. But I, I think um, my guess would be that brands are having a good time in terms of profitability because they're having to, they're not forcing the market and having to incentivize to, to move cars. So have you seen customers walk into the showrooms of those brands that you mentioned and, and say, no, I'm not going to wait that long and walk out well, as a result? I think in the early days, possibly there's a bit of that. But I think it's such, the news is everywhere, isn't it, about vehicle supply and you read about, you know, um, car registrations at their lowest, you know, since the 90s. So I think the information is out there. You know, all my friends know about it that aren't mm. in the industry and they're saying, you know, what's happening with cars? I'm looking at buying a car. Should I order one now? I'm saying, well, it could be three, six months. So, yeah. Um, 
So I think the news is out there, James. I think customers you know, do understand now. If they visit our Peugeot dealership or our Sayat dealership, they're getting told, you know, told the same story. Are you prospecting in a different way? Are you, are you talking to um, customers a lot earlier in the change cycle uh, yeah. to, to, to give them fair warning? Very much so. Um, I mean, renewals is, is so important in, in terms of F&I. You know, we're desperate for part exchanges, so we want to have a pipeline of stock coming in to our business. But absolutely, I mean, it's, you know, we, we talk to customers, you know, all the time, um, but more so now in terms of renewal, we are starting that a bit earlier saying, look, you know, it could be six months, it could be a year. Mm. Where are you in terms of, you know, you know, in terms of the car, are you happy with it? Would you like to upgrade or stay the same or whatever? So, yeah, I think more than ever, we're having to talk to our customers a lot more, which is, is, is not a bad thing. No, I think... It's just go back to that point of some people do read the news and realise that there is a delay. But I, the amount of people I speak to who say, oh, I've got to change my car soon. You know, my PCP's running out next month. And I'm thinking, there's no way you're going to get something new for that. You know, the, so I, I wonder whether it's the dealer hasn't called them up and given them fair warning or whether they've just buried their head in the sands and, and not chosen it. There's going to be a lot of disappointed people, isn't there? Because you, you oh. in, in the past, you get to the end of a PCP, you walk into a dealer, they give you a new car in four weeks and everybody's happy, but that's yeah. not going to happen now. No, absolutely not. But, you know, as I said, you know, it, it's about pipeline of used car stock as well. So it's not just about pipeline of new car orders that, you know, is important to us and the future profit that brings, but it's also a pipeline of used cars that we have coming through from renewals or, buying cars for cash for customers because they don't need two cars, lifestyle changes, fuel costs, whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's not just the new car piece in terms of renewals. It's also the used car pipeline coming back to us. And there's just one other question that's, that I wanted to ask you while, while you're here. I've had a number of conversations about this in the, in the last week and a couple this morning. It's about, about agency sales. You know, what, this, this is a massive change. It's, it's a seismic shift for this industry, isn't it? And it's coming and it's coming soon. There's a number of those partners that you, that you work with have, who've said they're going to do it. Some that are rumoured they're going down that route. But we all know that manufacturers are, are all sizing this up. What are your thoughts on agency sales? I mean, is it a good or bad thing for dealers like you? I don't know enough about it, James. No, I and that, I think that, this that, is the point, isn't it? That, I don't think we do. No, so I, I think, um, you know, clearly we're in, we're in discussions with our brands and, you know, they're, they're all in working parties, discussing it with um, um, with the dealer network, et cetera, et cetera. So until we actually see what agency really is, I can't tell you. Will it be a good thing? Again, I don't know, without seeing you know, the, the, the terms and conditions, if you like, you know, some still very much see a franchise model. So it's not everybody's, you know, going in on an agency. So it, it's, it's a really fascinating um, change, probably one of the biggest changes to our industry that we've ever gone through. So, yeah, I, I think we've got to wait. You know, there's no point in getting overexcited about it. We, we, you know, we've got to trust our partners. You know, mm -hmm. they want to dig a network, they tell us. So we just need to wait for the information to come through and, and read through it and understand it. I mean, does it worry you? Um, probably yes, yes, and no, Jake. You know, there's, there's mm. time to think, oh, what you know, what's it going to look like? I mean, we're in a you know, we're in a very strange world at the moment in terms of our um, uh, profitability on a new car. So, this is not the normal, you know. So, I think we, we can't get carried away with where margins are today. And if you looked at an average of five years of, of new car margin, what does that look like? So, I, I, you know, I think we need to be very careful about, you know, where, where our margin is today and where it was in the past, maybe. Again, it's about a balance. So I wouldn't say worried, it's just a concern. Mm. Let's understand what it looks like and then we can we can process it and understand it.
That is the biggest thing with it, isn't it? Nobody really knows what the plan is with it. Everybody's, to be, everybody's talking about it. I and mean, there's lots of rumors about it, but nobody knows the detail. And actually yeah. the, the detail could, could be quite good, but there's a lot of people worried about it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, we, we have to trust our brand partners. You know, we've got great relationships with, you know, great relationships with them. So we have to trust them. And um, I think, you know, that, you know we, we're entrepreneurs by our nature. And, um, you know, with used cars, we can still do that, after sales, et cetera. And, you know, by not, by having a consistent approach to new cars, that has to be a good thing, James, because, you know, dealer A, dealer B could be £1,000 apart. That's not right for the customer. It just doesn't feel right. And, and just one last one for me. Sorry to hijack this with loads of questions for you, Neil, but I'm sure, okay. you, I'm sure you expected that. Um, you, you, during the pandemic, launched an online buying um, part of your website, didn't you? Yeah. Can you just give me an idea of how, how that's going? I mean, I've just, the reason I ask is I, I've got ringing, ringing in my ears the, the conversations we had with Robert Forrester at his last results day and the fact that he, out of 90,000 odd cars, I can't remember the exact figure, but I know that only 900 of them were sold purely online. What are you seeing anything different to that? Or is, is, yeah, is that, yeah. that the same? We are seeing a drop off. There's no doubt about that um, because people can come back into the showroom. But we're probably doing 20 to 30 a week end to end online. So it's, it's okay. Hmm. So we're, we're pleased with that. Um, but it has dropped off, James, no doubt. And, you know, I think the disruptors, that, as you call them in your magazine, they're, they're starting to feel it now. And um, I think people still enjoy going into a car showroom, talking to a, a sales exec who knows about the product. You know, I, I, I would, um, I'd be nervous about spending a lot of money online without seeing something or trying it out first. So, yeah, I, you know, there is an absolute place for it and we still see it and we're still very focused on it and we're trying to improve our processes around it to grow that side of the business. And it is about blended retail. And of course, it is, you know, the, since COVID, things have changed and they've changed mm -hmm. forever. Um, and we've got to make sure we're, we're doing both sides of the business as, as best we can. Well, I'll let you off the hook now. <laughs> right, thanks. <laughs> Shall we get going, John? Let's do it. Uh, right, so if you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the car dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, um, and we're going to have a little chat about each one. James, have you actually chosen any? I have. I've actually only picked five this week, which is very unusual for me. So Five? Five, yeah. We're five. Sorry. <laughs> it might be done by lunchtime. That's brilliant. Deary me. I might have to dial some food in. I'll be quick. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, at the end of that, Neil gets to decide whose stories were the best and therefore who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can tweet at CarDealerMag and let us know if uh, you think we've missed anything. So, James, I've had to go back to your last appearance in May uh, to find this out, but on that particular occasion, you did win. So you can go first. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you, John. Uh, I am going to pick the first story um, is an interview that James Baxter did with the new-ish uh, Peugeot UK boss. This is uh, Julie David, who uh, chatted to the press this week uh, about a number of different things. And there was there was a couple of headlines uh, that came out of it. And she, she said she wants to make the uh, buying a car an enjoyable experience, which sort of piqued my interest a little bit because I actually thought that buying a car is an enjoyable experience already. So I wanted to know why she didn't think that. And it, 
what she did is uh, before she replaced uh, David Peel, uh, she, her her uh, her appointment wasn't announced until the day David um, well, David left. Um, so she had a bit of time in the run up to that to go out and do some mystery shopping. Um, I wonder whether she went to one of your dealerships, Neil. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, I, she, I, James, uh, I'd be very confident if Julie. I mean, obviously, I know Julie really, really well, and I, I think it's a good thing that an MD of a car company goes and visits. Uh, and mystery shops. Yeah, I think so. She certainly found some stuff out while she went out there. And she said, um, I mean, she's, she said she she thinks it's sad that customers, in, and I quote in her, say fear entering showrooms. And I, I'm not quite sure whether that's quite right. I mean, she obviously knows a lot more about customers than I do. But I don't think that people are scared of going in, into showrooms. I mean, perhaps some people feel that they're going in for a little bit of a battle. But she she says um, she's, she used that time in the run-up to her appointment to get out there in mystery shops and dealers. And um, and one of the things she noticed is that a lot of uh, the Peugeot dealers were a little bit worried about selling electric. They had, she says, a lack of confidence in, in, in selling electric cars. Um, and she's using these experiences of going out there into the, um, into the dealership network to help shape what she's what she's going to do in the future but i mean the other things she mentioned is she doesn't like the, doesn't like calling car dealers car dealers she wants she likes calling them retailers and i know that there's a lot, lot few people out there that, that 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 do that and call car dealers retailers i mean we don't because funny enough we're called car dealer magazine but um <laughs> she said um she said that she doesn't like calling them car dealers because she 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 said that infers that there's a deal to be done and you sort of think, no, well, there probably is a deal to be done in the car dealership, isn't it? So it was. I, I just found this interest, this interview, fascinating because it was a real insight into how these the, a manufacturer MD thinks. And I like the fact that she went out there and visited the dealers to get an idea of of what was going on. I don't know if you if you saw that piece, Neil, but uh, no, I did. Yeah. From from those things that I said there, I mean, do, do you think there is a lack of confidence in selling electric cars? A lot of your brands. Have, have some very good electric cars, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, and we're working really hard with our teams to ensure they're champions, if you like, of electric. So, um, you know, Julie's a really smart lady. I, I think the experience she, she probably got in the dealerships wasn't the best uh, for whatever reason. So I do think there, is, is, um, there has been a fear of electric, but we're working really hard. And, and to be fair, all the brands are working with us to make sure our guys are trained. So... We can forget about range anxiety, charging infrastructure, et cetera. So um, maybe there was when Julie first went there, maybe a, bit, maybe a year ago, I don't know how long it is now, but probably a year, maybe a bit longer, that, that there was a fear. But I, th I think from, from my businesses, I think our guys are pretty good at selling um, electric. It's, 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 it's our future and their future. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll come on to this as we chat about some other, other stories. But I mean, do, electric cars are obviously in, in, in increasingly... Um, uh, important when it comes to dealers, lots of people are buying them. They're overtaking overtaking diesel. Are they a hard sell though? Are they still uh, are they still difficult to explain to customers? I think um, less and less, James. I think you know with the cost of fuel, it's now suddenly a question you've got to ask yourself. And, mm. You know, you know, you see the petrol pump prices again. A lot of my friends who've got you know nice cars, or whatever, say it's two hundred quid to fill my car up, hundred fifty. You know, and they're they're really questioning what they're doing. Um, I've now started the electric journey and I've got to say, I absolutely love it. You know, I don't have to visit a petrol station ever again. I don't have to go and buy, you know, crisps and chocolate anymore. So that's a good thing. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, <it's>, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, I think people are embracing it more and more. And I think it's about us giving customers confidence in terms of range anxiety about, you know, charging cars up at home, about long journeys. So, 
So I, I think we are now the other end of, of that. Um, and I think as batteries improve and range gets longer and longer, yeah, I don't see it being an issue. I really don't. As I said, I've started the journey and I love it. I really, really What are really you driving, it. Neil? I'm lucky enough to have an IX. Oh, you? I thought you might say that. Um, that is a big change from your last one, though, wasn't it? I think the last time I saw you, you were driving an M, M, um, an XM model, weren't you? If, if... I was. Yeah. yeah. It was one, one last hurrah before <laughs> I, I joined the electric, um, the electric journey. You know, two very different cars, but... Yeah, I just I love the electric. You know, I love the feeling of it. I, I, you know, it's it's just a really smooth drive. And at night, it's like you know a mobile phone. You go and plug your car in at the end of the day and forget about it. You get the app that says you're fully charged and you're good to go. So it really is, a, I think, a, a good thing. Right, that was my first one, John. Let's move on to yours. Okay, well, I just I'm very annoyed because that was also going to be my first one. So you've Ooh. knocked that out of my list. Okay. Uh, but I will continue with the EV theme. Um, and I will go with revealed the EV brands that are falling on deaf ears. Um, and this is a story that's come from a bit of research by Watcar, uh, which asked its well, it's it's asked 821 in market buyers, presumably EV buyers, um, if they'd heard of uh, these up and coming um, EV brands. Unsurprisingly, uh, quite a lot of them have not heard of any of these particular brands. The brands are Faraday Future. Fisker, Lucid, Lincoln Co, Neo, Polestar, Rivian, and WM. I mean, there's a couple there I haven't actually heard of. Um, but the reason I've mentioned this is I think it's it's interesting that soon, uh, well, soon-ish, if the, the brands are to be believed, the market is going to be flooded by all of these newcomer brands. Um, and there is a bit of a problem with awareness, I think, and, well, a problem for them with awareness. Um, and we're constantly kind of talking about, I think we talked about it last week, how are the, um, I don't want to call them legacy manufacturers, because I think that's a bit of a cruel term, but how are the, you know, the current leading manufacturers going to, uh, you know, lead the charge against all these newcomers? And when stories like this come out, I kind of think, well, they probably don't have a problem because, you know, people like Peugeot are not worrying about uh, Faraday future, you know, if no one's actually heard of them. So I think the, the stat in here was uh, 56% of people hadn't heard of any of these particular brands. Um, the only one they had heard of was Polestar. And that is possibly because Polestar are marketing quite heavily at the minute. And they have been around for, I don't know how long, 18 months, two years? Yeah, a couple of years, I would say, yeah. Mm. I mean, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, well, I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, there's some... I mean, those, some of those names are frankly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a word of caution as well. Let's not forget the, the T word of Tesla. Mm. Like, you know, they went from nothing to somewhere very, very quickly in a short space of time. And without so, marketing. They didn't do any sorry, marketing. Without marketing. Correct. correct. Mm. So I think, you know, I think the brands, um, you know, the, the current brands in the market, they know they've got to defend their, their numbers and they're all bringing electric cars out, you know, in now in the pipeline and, and the future. They've all got to get there by a certain time frame anyway. So I think it's, it's they're going to have to spend an awful lot of money, some of these brands, to try and get anywhere. And it's whether they can, you know, afford to do it in market because it's, it's not cheap. Um, but a lot of those names I've never heard of. I work in the industry and I've never heard of them. Yeah, obviously Polestar, Link, I've heard of those guys, but there's a lot of them. I don't, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about, you know, and it's um, 
So I think, you know, you look at the Tesla journey, phenomenal, really. I mean, you have to take hats off to them. They've done incredibly well. Um, but everyone's gaining ground on those guys, you know, and SUVs, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting in the electric marketplace. But those guys are going to have to really spend big to, to try and get any footprint, I think, in the, in the marketplace. Do you yeah. get much conquest kind of custom from um, Tesla drivers changing into, you know, the new? Yeah, we have. Models? Yeah, I think I think a lot of them are early adopters of Tesla, um, and, and you know they come across. We've had several used that we've, we've sold through the through the through the dealerships. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's um, it, it's a good brand, of course, it is and they, they've done well. They're exciting cars, but um, yeah, n- not not loads and loads, but you know maybe a dozen or something like that. We've had come in part exchange that um, people have, have uh, yeah have, have got, gone out of them. We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Interesting. Shall I move on to my one? Go on, James. Okay. Uh, I am going to do some positive news. Uh, (gasps) And this was an... uh, At last. (laughs) (laughs) This was an interview I did with the auto trader boss, Nathan Coe, ahead of a big video that we've got um, coming out on the brand in the next few weeks. Um, This, um, as part of that, I asked asked Nathan whether um, the industry should fear a, a recession. I think we're... We're possibly heading towards one. I mean, there's a sort of it's still up in the air. Positive, James. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, let me continue. Um, So, but even even despite the fact that the economy might be slipping into recession, there is a cost of living crisis, etc., etc. Nathan says that he thinks car buyers will ditch holidays and nights out before they turn down the chance to change their car. He. he said that the um, that normally car buying and car car changes are, are driven by a need, and that could be the family's got bigger or they you know, the car's broken down for etc. Um, and he thinks that, that is a far bigger driver than actually the, uh, the the cost of living crisis and, and a recession. He says that most people don't change their cars just because they want to; it's because that they need because they need to. And he thinks this is going to continue to continue to drive drive the market. Uh, the other thing that he mentioned is um, actually in, the, in in previous recessions, the used car market has done very well as a result. A lot of people move away from from new cars or or change down, and that that change means that the industry keeps keeps moving. He reminded us that in two thousand and eight, actually the used car market market did very well as a, as a result of this so he says that the uh, recession is it, it, if it does come is, is nothing to fear um, and that actually uh, the dealer should have confidence in the car market even if the economy does stall what do you think neil do, do you agree with nathan um somewhat i think a lot of people haven't had holidays in the last three years so they're desperate to get away um i think the recession possibly I mean, you know, the, the data's not looking great, is it? You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. Um, but I don't know. I think there is a necessity to change cars. I think people are definitely looking at their lifestyle in terms of fuel costs and, and maybe trading down. Maybe that's going to be a, a, um, an option for people. But I think, you know, people do need holidays, James. You know, yeah. after, you know, 
I was quite surprised to read it because I, I you know, I think, as I said, a lot of people haven't had holidays for two and a half years or three years and, and are desperate to get away. But, you know, I think the motor trade is a very resilient business. And if we go into a session, hopefully we don't. But I think we're a resilient bunch. We'll work our way through it. It's, uh, I mean, it's obviously Nathan's job to, uh, to, to talk up the industry. And after I tweeted the headline, consumers will ditch holidays and still buy used cars if the economy slips into recession, one of the replies I got was from the uh, head of PR of Brittany Ferries, who said, uh, actually, I think consumers will ditch used car purchases and go on holiday if the economy slips into recession, says the bloke who works in the travel industry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's, Nathan's doing his job. Of yeah. course he is. But... You know, I, I would rather have more positive news like that rather than prices of, you know, crashing, et cetera, et cetera, because we're not seeing that, James. You know, it's, you know, the book is so volatile, but, but there is still a very much a demand for used cars. And I think, you know, if you look at the new cars over the last couple of years, used cars are going to be scarce. So, um, yeah, I just wish everyone would just calm down a little bit in terms of valuations, because, you know, I'm sure every dealer out there is, is trying to buy cars. Yeah. Right, John, over to you. Okay, I mean, I'd just like to say I'm also in the holiday of a car camp. But then I don't have a PCP coming to an end. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? True. Right, I will move on to... I haven't quite decided. Um, I'm going to go with the Independent Garage Association is fully prepared, quote-unquote, to fight, quote-unquote, impulsive government plans for biennial MOTs. So this is something that I'd actually forgotten about, which is why I'm mentioning it, um, which, of course, is is the current administration's plan to uh, push MOTs back to once every two years, which, funnily enough, is getting not <laughs> not the best reception in the motor trade, um, you know, as far as garages are concerned and as far as people like the AA are concerned. It's, it just seems like a terrible, terrible idea. Um but yes, I mean, there's there's not much new to add apart from the IGA are fully prepared to fight it, but I'm not quite sure what that will entail. Well, I mean, every time they've said it, John, and every time I've spoken to Stuart James, of the uh, the chief executive of the IGA, he's always just pointed to the fact that 30% of cars fail their MOT mm. due to dangerous faults, i.e. Yeah. tyres um, or, or, or things, things that are serious threats to road safety. And actually, the, the, the MOT check... Is, is the backstop for that, isn't it? A, mm -hmm. An annual check for that. I mean, we know what people, car buyers are like, car, consumers that drive around with cars with, with ball tyres and never check them themselves. And if it's not, if it's left down to a biannual test, I think that mm -hmm. the, the, the impact on, on road safety would be tremendous. It really would. So yeah, I, mean, I, I think we have a duty of care to a customer. Yeah. And I think, I think two years is, is just way too long. Forget about us and our revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, would I want my son driving around in a car that haven't been looked at for two years? Absolutely not. You know, it's um, you know, whilst every dealership works hard on vehicle health check, etc. I think there's a real risk to this. You know, in terms of people driving around in uh, unsafe cars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Particularly tyres, James. You know, because yeah. mm -hmm. do people know what's required? Probably not. So it's um, so I think there's a real risk to go by annual. I think that's that is, is, that's a real dangerous step to take. It comes up every time that somebody thinks they have this 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 great idea of saving money for people, especially a cost of living crisis thing. Saving the forty odd quid for an MOT test is is something that would be useful for consumers. But actually, it's a it's a false economy, isn't it? Actually, because if Absolutely. you leave these things and don't get them checked, then uh, next time round it costs you even more. 
So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll I, I could think of five or six things that can save people money that the government could do, maybe rather than just worrying about a biannual MOT test. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, the other way of looking at this is you could, if you are going to do a biannual MOT, what's going to have to get tougher are the actual passes because you know if you let someone through now with 1.8 mil tires or something obviously that is not going to last two years yeah you know and you don't really know what mileage people are doing but it would have to i think that the failure would have to the failure rate would have to change because if you look at you know i think people might might not spending more money exactly (laughs) they're having to change tires earlier or whatever yeah of course they are so yeah yeah, I, i think they're just going to move on and leave it as it is i think it's a real risk Okay, uh, I'm going to pick my next story and I'm going to pick up on a point that Neil's just made. Um, this is the uh, eBay Motors Group saying the cost of living crisis is having a knock-on effect on used car prices. So eBay says that their market view report has found that cost of living crisis is impacting those used car prices with them falling by 1.4% in June to an average price of £16,500. They say that's still 20% up on June of last year, but they're saying consumer demand is falling um, and their data is also revealing an increasing number of days to sell. Um, They said that the drop was led mostly by the independent dealer sector, where prices are down 1.5% last month, with the franchised uh, sites down just 0.6%. It represents the fifth consecutive TIF month of decline. Um, although those prices are, as I say, ahead on a year-on-year basis. So, I mean, Neil, that's a, it's interesting statistics, isn't it, there? Because you're saying that the used car market is still incredibly strong, but there, there must be people out there in the industry that are seeing it slow down a little bit. Some dealers that I speak to are saying they've noticed it cool off a little bit in the last couple of months. What's your, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely cooled off, but it was like the Wild West before. But, you know, I mean... We, we have to be realistic. If we look over you know, a longer period of five years, is the, is the market hot? Yes, it is, compared to what it was five years ago. You know, during COVID, we came out of lockdowns you know, a couple of times. It did go crazy. You know? So we can't look back at that and say that was the norm, because it wasn't the norm. But was it better than three years ago in June? Three years? Absolutely. So you know, if you spoke to any of my sales managers today and said, would you like more stock? Not one of them would say no. Hmm. So, you know, we would still be buying cars today and, and we want more cars. You know, we, we, there is still a need for used cars. We think the market's decent and, you know, we're very focused on our used cars. But I wouldn't say I've got sites that are overstocked or don't have the capacity to, to, to take more stock. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there, there must be a slight, slight cooling out there. I've certain, certainly heard it. But at the same time, I talk to dealers such as yourselves and they say something similar. You know, they're desperate to, still desperate to get hold of, get hold of the cars. Absolutely. Um, and, I, you know, all the while new car supply is short mm. and people do want it, like Nathan said, they want to change their car or do something different. What are they going to buy? Mm. And I suppose you know, the advantage the, is you've got those well, used cars on the, on the, on the forecourt and you can say, well, yeah, you can't have, if you, if you don't want to wait 12 months for that free series, you can have this one outside. It's a year old, it's got this spec. I bet you. Yeah, and but a lot I think, of I think the, the biggest challenge we've got is the, la- the lack of late used cars. Mm. You know, because we, we haven't got lots of demonstrators that there is no pre-reg, so that you know, naught to six month or whatever, they just don't really exist. So that that's the, the, the I guess the real big challenge that we've got is that uh, new, nearly new market. But as I said, you know, it's the used car market 
it's still okay for us, you know. And as I said, we, we know we, we, we want more stock as a group. Okay, John, that's my one. Over to you. On a similar note, uh, Newcastle sales suffer worst June performance since 1996 as supply shortages continue to bite. Yes. There was, so, there was some on. big headlines in this story, wasn't there, John? I mean, I, I had this on, had this on my list as well. Mm. I mean, some well, you, of the stuff you can go, so I can. No, it. no, sorry, I didn't want to hijack it, but I just I've written down a couple of things. This is, I'll, 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 you go for it. I'm very. This happy. is obviously your story, but twenty four percent down on June twenty twenty one is a, mm -hmm. is quite a big drop, isn't it? And um, the 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 one the figure that really caught me was the one hundred and seven thousand less cars sold in the first half of the year compared to twenty twenty one. I mean, that's the that was a big number. Yeah, but is this a story? Are we surprised? Really? <laughs> no, we're not. I mean, we're not. We're not surprised. I don't I think I'll have won this. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't. I, but I, you know, genuinely, you know, I, you know, I, I read the, I read the, you know, the headlines, read the numbers, looked at the detail into the brands, you know, whatever. But this is not a surprise. You know, look what's going on in the world. You know, mm -hmm. so this is it's, it's it's unheard of. You know what's what we're going through right now. So. You know, I think June last year we had an order bank. There was still a surplus of stock, if you like, to, to see our way through. You know, we're, we're not having quarter end pushes. Last June there probably was a bit of a quarter end push to get cars out. So I just think, you know, we are where we are. You know, there's you know there's a war going on. You know, there's there's chip shortages. You know, there's all these things that are happening in the world that are we are going to be backwards. You know, but is it a true market now? You know, without the pre-reg and without the demonstrator activity whatever yeah. you want to call it the big fleet deals going on so is it a leveling off of where we have been so i sort of read those stories and go yeah move on because it's it is what it is it's and there's a lot of there's a lot of retail cars in those bestseller numbers now isn't there you know Correct. i mean the Vo voxel corsa number one tesla model y number two with four thousand 200 cars sold mini cash golf puma it's none of that fleet stuff is it at all it's the stuff that consumers are going out there out there and buying so i think you're right we're seeing a much truer picture of what the market actually is out there correct and, and i think you know as we, we spoke about at the start of this is this a new norm i don't know you know no one knows right now but um yeah, I think dealers and manufacturers in terms of margin on new cars are seeing a much healthier return and you know why is that a bad thing? I think for me, the thing about these stories, and as you say, we get them every, well, every month near enough, is it's almost like we, well, we in the media need to recalibrate our brains to what is actually a, you know, a, a devastating sounding headline because new car sales, new car sales suffer worse June performance since 1996. Sounds terrible. But actually, you know, the net result of that is actually not a terrible thing for you know, dealers, effectively, it's not a brilliant thing for car manufacturers, but then they're not exactly, as you say, they're not punting them out at the lowest possible price, are they? So I, I get that, John. wins except the consumer. I, do, I get that and I agree with you, but it's the way that it's always presented by the SMMT as a mm. really bad story mm. that, that sort of sets that agenda. You know, they, they push it. They don't push this out with a comment from Mike Halls or similar saying, Yes, new car sales might be down, but actually for the industry, it is good for these reasons. They mm -hmm. just say, this is terrible. And, um, and, and the way that, that that's, that's sent out in the press release, okay, yes, we might have to, and we probably should be presenting it in a slightly different way. But there's a, there must be a reason the SMMT present it in that manner. Well, presumably because they represent, it's the motor manufacturers and, well, the traders is on the end, isn't it? 
<laughs> but you know, yeah. if, if you and Nissan, not saying Nissan have suffered production shortages, but they probably have. But if you were a factory in the UK, presumably you are struggling. If you're struggling to get parts for cash guys or whatever, you're struggling to pay your staff, aren't you? So I guess from their point of view, it is not so positive. But for everyone else, not so bad. But as you say, I think it's, uh, you know, as we've alluded to, it's almost been like a, a big reset button has been pressed and perhaps this is the new, just how the market should always have been. Maybe, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, it's, um, we don't get, I, mean, I don't get involved at a very, very senior level in, in car brands. So, so you don't know what their strategy is, but ultimately, you know, they're there to make money, aren't they? And uh, that's what they're looking at doing. So I think they probably, as I said, they probably are making more money. Um, but you're right, James, that, you know, these headlines don't help our industry. I think it's it is quite a negative story, but I think you need to look in the detail behind it to understand why. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to. Uh, so you've picked a couple of mine, John. So I've only got one more, and that okay. is news uh, that the BM BMW is ending production of the i3. Oh, I had this <laughs> as well. Sorry, uh, I picked this story because I absolutely love the i3. It's one of my favourite cars. I have one as a uh, as a long termer for uh, a few months, and absolutely loved it. Two hundred and fifty thousand of them have uh, have been made and sold in seventy four countries. It came out at the same time as the i8. Um, which was another very radical car, and I just think with 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 that with the, with the smaller model from BMW, they just they created a, a really quirky, brilliant city car that was not only innovative but premium feeling and great to drive. And I just think it's really sad to see that. I would after after running one as a long term, I would definitely buy one. Uh, I think it was just a just a brilliant little little vehicle. And, and I'm just the reason I picked a story is because I'm very sad to see it go. Neil, you've obviously been selling these from the start. What what were your thoughts on that? I mean, will, will you uh, miss it? Yeah, but I think, you know, I think you need to understand what BMW have got coming down, you know, in the future. Yeah. So, you know, I think i8 particularly was just an unbelievable car. When that came out, it was like, wow, you know, yeah. incredible. And I think the i3 is, is a great car. You know, they sell very well secondhand. Yeah. But I think, you know, you've got to look at what, what BMW do in the future. They've got some really exciting plans for their electrification and their models coming forwards. You've seen i4, you've seen ix. You know, there's a lot of cars coming um, our way. Things change. You know, there's there's really popular cars we all have a soft spot in our heart for that, that disappear, and, and something else comes along, and and you'll go, wow, look at this new car, it's incredible. Yeah. So it's it's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's time to move on and, and get on to the next one. I do, I, and I know you're driving an iX at the moment. And I remember when I last was over one of your dealerships, I had a good look around one of them you had just outside the show. And just, it's a fantastic looking vehicle. It really, unbelievable. Is. Yeah, I mean, really. so was, and the guys, the guys that uh, write our reviews who have driven it said, if it just feels Rolls Royce levels of premium inside, they said the build quality is absolutely fantastic. Um, so and I like the fact it's it's got the quirky look still. I mean, okay, it's not as not as quirky as the i three, but it is. It's still quirky, and I like that. Well, I think I think if you look at all electric cars coming to the market, they're not so you wouldn't call them mainstream. A lot of the look no. of them. So I mean, you know, Kia EV6. It's not a traditional sort of car, but what a great car that, and that's selling in you know in bundles. You know, so I think with this electric um, uh, uh, technology, you can be a bit different with the cars. So yeah, and I, and I think it's great. Uh, you know, really good. So no, it's sad it's going, but you know. Let's see over the next couple of years what BMW have got coming, and you might be surprised with some of the lovely stuff they have. Excellent. I am I am sad about it as well, and I have to say I'm also amazed they kept it going for ten years. Yeah, yeah. You know, most what's the general BMW life cycle? About six years, seven years. 
Yeah, but probably a model change in between. I mean, they've, they've probably had model changes during that period, but mm. 10 years is quite a long time. But as I said, I think you're looking for the future of, of what they've got coming because there are some very exciting uh, other products coming to market. Mm. Absolutely. Well, that's my full set, John. <sighs> that is regretting my full set as well. So I think I've probably done about four. Uh, so I'm trying to remember what happens now. Neil has to decide which one of us has won. But firstly, he needs to tell us it's like I've done this. Have before. you missed anything? Has we mi- have we missed anything? I'm amazed you've not talked about the political situation uh, that's happening right now. Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. No. <laughs> what's this, what's ha- what's happened there then, Neil? Well, <laughs> I, I'd like to think you do know you two. No, we're. But I tell you, I, I, I was um, I was on the road yesterday, um, headed up to um, to Gaydon, the British Motor Museum. And I was listening to BBC Radio 4 in the car. And I must say, it was the most exciting morning of radio I've ever listened to. It was just crazy. And the time it took to get from my house to Batch's house, two ministers had resigned and they had the breaking news that, that, that Boris was, was handing his notice as well. I mean, I can't say, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy week on the political side of things. Isn't uh, it? Unbelievable. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. It really is. We've just got to sort this out. It's a mess. Come on then, Neil. Who do you tip for the next leader, the next prime minister? Well, living in uh, near the Portsmouth area, I'll have to go for Penny, wouldn't I? Really? You do think Penny's got their chance, do you? No, I, I think I like Rishi. You know, yeah. without being you know too political on this this podcast, mm. but you know I like Rishi. Um, you know, but I think whoever goes in has got a really really tough job. Yeah, I did well. Not not only sorting out what needs to be sorted out, but making sure that, the, that they're, they're in a position to win the next election, because... I well, it's, it, as I said, it, you know, it's been the most bizarre three or four years, and I think, you know, the last, this week has been as bizarre in politics as I've ever seen, you know, so it's um, it's a really interesting time, really interesting. But it's never good, I don't think it's good for um, for the markets or anything having this uncertainty, is it? It's, it's never a good thing. So we, we just need to get it sorted and move on. So, John, who do you think the uh, model year uh, late 2022 Prime Minister is going to be? Mm, you say Labour? No, Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Um, I honestly don't know. It's it's a real struggle. If you're asking me as someone which which person I would like, that's a very different question to who do I think it's going to be. No, latter, um, I think, the latter. I think it's got to be someone completely outside of the last and current cabinet. I don't think it could be anyone like Nadim Zahawi or whatever who's kind of, who've accepted a nice promotion. And I don't think it can be anyone who's been propping him up, propping Boris up for the last six months. I think it's going to be some backbencher who's going to come out of nowhere, like Rory Stewart. But not Rory Stewart, because he's not around anymore. That's my verdict. I think I'll go with um, Nadim Doris. (laughs) 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 Okay, James, I used to think you were quite sensible. I'm off. <laughs> no, that's not I'm joking. Right, Neil. Seriously, who do you think? Who do you think's won out of us two? Um, oh, well, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a very interesting debate. But uh, sadly, James, I think you've picked this one because you've mentioned some of the brands that uh, we represent. So yes. um, good research. And uh, sorry, John, but uh, I think James uh, just gets ahead on this one. I oh, will thank you, Neil. That's accept very kind. my defeat gracefully and leave by autumn. <laughs> 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 or, but, or will you? okay well thank you neil for judging today it's been great to have you on thank you cheers you'll come back
Indeed, of course we will. Excellent. Uh, and thank you as well to James for competing and winning. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week for another episode. So make sure you're subscribed or whatever the word is on Spotify so you can be notified when a new episode goes live. If you are listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head to cardiomagazine.co.uk where you'll find those and much more news besides. Thanks again, and until next time, goodbye.